0: Well, hello friends, thank you for tuning in again to another audio or video production of the Love and Truth Network podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us. Um, This is gonna be a fun episode for us. I'm actually, this is a little bit different because what is coming up now is my friend Eric Hovind and I are going to be having a discussion about uh, humility and honor and about uh, Pride Month and about, uh, you know, so much of what goes on in the month of June and really coming at this from more of a biblical perspective and uh, dialogue and discussion. So, But what's a little bit different about this is rather than the episode being um, edited and produced uh, by our folks here at Love and Truth Network— uh, this is something that Creation Today, Eric Hovind's ministry, uh, actually um, spearheaded. And so they've they've generously offered for us to um, uh, post this as one of our podcasts as they are doing that on their end as well. So I'm just giving a little bit of an intro here. Uh, in just a moment, you're going to see Eric doing an intro into this particular podcast and then we'll be picking up the discussion from there. So Eric and um, my wife, Melissa, and I had an interview, gosh, it was probably back in 2000. 15 or so Uh, we were my family and I were actually in Alabama Uh, our boys were very young then and we were visiting friends of ours uh, down at the shore. My dad had passed away and um, I was just, um, you know, kind of reeling from that. My mom was still alive at the time and and we were just taking some time away. My sister was um, caring for my mom and we were able to kind of get away and, and just spend time um, down at the shore with our friends. And while we were there, we we're at this little tiny um, beach church and the pastor was interested in uh, our story. Our friends had kind of shared that with him. And so um, I wound up sharing a little bit with the church at some point. But just prior to that, I think the week before. Uh, Eric had been there. I'd never heard of Eric before. He had been there and my friends were talking with um, him uh, after the whatever he had shared um, in the service the week or so before. And and he said, wow, I'd really be interested in meeting with them. Well, they're over in um, uh, the Pensacola, Florida area. And so not far from where we were in Alabama. And one thing led to another. We reached out to them. He had space. And so uh, in, in um, uh, to be able to record an interview with us, it was really interested in that. So we drove over and spent some time in a meeting. Immediately, uh, we just loved the ministry. We loved Eric, and and uh, had, a, had a wonderful time with uh, with him. And we did, you know, one of our first kind of professional interviews uh, with him. And so that's been around for a long time. That's still out on our website. But it's always been awesome to continue to connect with Eric and their ministry, and um, just from a friendship basis as well as kind of a shared ministry basis. And so that's really where um, we connected and wanted to do this podcast together uh, because of the month of June and what that's kind of going on um, in the month of June. So hope you enjoy this podcast and uh, enjoy the interaction between uh, me and Eric. Bless you. And again, always look forward to you joining us in future podcasts.
1: so you know that's where we really started in a, in in a lot of respects we the church and even if churches weren't that you know direct it was something they didn't want to deal with in general sexuality certainly lgbt and i think a lot of younger uh, folks that grew up in the church or came into the church as as young believers and and grew up at, to become pastors and christian leaders they didn't want to be anything like that and and so kudos to them for not wanting to to be that way to so starting off i think in some ways, with a really good and positive motivation, the problem is is that the prescription or the the end result is shot way past what is actually biblical, and is now um, it isn't just come as you are. It is we are going to affirm uh, whatever identity you feel that you are, and so it's this is shifted from um, a, a sexuality issue, a sin issue, an immorality issue, is what the Bible refers to it as, and again, not just LB, LGBTQ, but there's a much bigger issue with um, heterosexual brokenness in the sexual arena, but it's shifted from that to now even the church has embraced because we we swim in the waters of culture. We, we have unconsciously embraced the idea that this is about identity when actually our identity free Christ and, and after Christ is that we're made in the image of God, male and female period. Uh, and, and anything else other than that is not actually identity from God's design.
2: So, Walk me through how that's happening. Do you have, I don't know if you, if, are there studies out there on how many churches are now, um, I guess I'll use those words. Uh, you're right, though. It, it was don't come affirming versus accepting. And then, and, 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 and I'm also curious, is this also the result? Is the pendulum that the church wasn't dealing with heterosexual sin very well? Then they weren't dealing with homosexual sin. No, they were not doing with, uh, gender identity and, 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 people that are saying I'm trans it, okay I, just I, I kind of want to hear you go, okay, just educate us here.
1: Well, it's interesting there's I, I don't know of studies out there that um, would segregate uh, kind of the three main areas of the church of those that are still <clears throat> kind of in the fundamentalist camp uh, versus those that have become you know accepting and, and are accepting of people wherever like come as you are and and Jesus is we're gonna love you. And, and be exposed to the gospel, be exposed to what uh, faith and life in Christ looks like. And and we're going to believe the Holy Spirit uh, to change uh, your life. And then the, the third camp being, oh no, we're going to affirm everything that you, you feel and believe about yourself and, and no change necessary, essentially. And I don't know what that, the breakdown of that is. What I do have seen um, uh, anecdotally is that there's a growing population of churches that are becoming um, affirming churches, and rather than preaching a true gospel, we believe that there's a false gospel that's going out using a lot of the same language of gospel and grace, but leaving out words like surrender, lordship, sin. Uh, and, and instead, it's it's almost like a lot of churches are, are teaching and preaching good TED Talks uh, that are about tweaking our flesh, and that's not biblical salvation. There's no real life in that. So th- those are huge concerns, you know, that we have. But you're right, Eric, the you know, I was on pastoral staff for twelve years. I love the church. God used the church to rescue my life. I'm forever grateful, and and will always be grateful. Our ministry is not about, hey, you know, the church stinks. Come on over here and we'll minister. no. Our ministry is about we want to strengthen and bless the church because that's God's plan A for the world. And and so the more that we can strengthen the church, the better. Having said that, the issues go way back beyond where LGBTQ became popular. I mean, we there was so much compromise in the church around sexual immorality. Uh, around sexual sin and and we're saying all the right things, and yet for so many we're in our secret life, we are doing just the opposite of course, that's only been proliferated and expanded with the the age of the internet so
2: is so we've watched people come we've watched the church ignore sexual immorality we've watched them not be able to handle homosexual sexual
1: immorality um even to the point eric i would say that in the beginning even when people came to the church looking for help and support like they might not have even been acting out but yet they were recognizing uh like myself i'm dealing with same-sex attraction and i really want some help and support the church didn't even know what to do then And some i've heard of situations where people were kicked out of the church when they weren't even actively living this out but even if they were even if they're coming to the table and saying, "Look, i failed, and I've I've been you know I, I've been living in sin, and I've I've been acting out uh, again, whatever the the sexual sin is, and I want help and support. I really need to. Um, I, I, I'm I'm repentant, and and the church has not not only not known what to do, uh, but for a long time until more recently, I mean, the last maybe couple of decades uh, has not really wanted to equip itself to help either. That's changed a lot, and I'm very thankful for that. But we have a long way to go.
2: So help us understand a couple different things. Um, From the biblical perspective, I've always taught, I've always read homosexuality is wrong. Uh, It seems that that's clear from from scripture. It's the way the church fathers understood it. And now I read a book by Colby Martin, who's a progressive, uh, he would call himself a progressive Christian. Uh, The book is called Unclobbered, where he's going through the passages saying, wait a minute, maybe we've actually
1: misread these all these years. Can you hit that real quick? Sure. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I have not read that particular book. I've read a number of books that um, have been written from a pro-gay um, theology perspective, and and that would that would be one more. Maybe there's uh, you know a few additional things in there that I've I've not read. But the I'm very familiar though with um, you know so-called pro-gay theologists going back and and re basically reinterpreting you know the the three main passages in the Old Testament, the three main passages in the New Testament. That talk about um, uh, homosexuality and the way that those have been interpreted over time. And of course, what they want to exclude, uh, you know, those are always, basically, those are about temple prostitution. Those are about um, uh, men having sex with children, or those are about um, men or women who are actually heterosexual, who because of sexual indulgence indulgence or sexual addiction, they engage in crossing over into the. Um, the homosexual population, or whatever. I, I mean, I read through those, and as somebody who comes out of um, that world, and as somebody who wanted at one time to to merge and 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 marry together, you know, a, a walk with God and homosexuality. I wanted to be able to have, you know, my boyfriend or my husband, and uh, you know, and a walk with God. I mean, at one time that would have been really compelling to me to to read those things and feel like, okay, I, I, there's Christian leaders saying I can have this, but the truth is. It didn't. It, as much as I wanted that, it didn't bear witness with with what the conviction of the Holy Spirit or or even my own human conscience. And I so when you look at Matthew 19, for example, and Jesus being asked the question about divorce, but then he goes back and affirms only two genders uh, that God created and that marriage was intended by God to be between one man and one woman. That those every by Jesus. Um, blessing and calling that out from all, from the beginning of creation forward, he nullifies everything else. And, and so you have that piece, but then there's not, in it, it throughout. did God not know that we were going to be in, in this stage and this uh, dealing with these things on a, on a, an increasingly global basis. I mean, there's not a single positive reference in all of scripture to homosexual unions, to this idea of monogamous, you know, gay relationships. And uh, by the way, most quote unquote monogamous gay relationships, from my experience and what I've read and the hundreds of people I've talked to, most of those um, monogamous gay relationships are serial monogamy, or where where two guys have been or women have been committed to each other for a long period of time. In many many cases, that's an open relationship where they're bringing in other people, you know, sexually and other things. And that's not in in every case, but that is um, far more common than than what most people would realize. So. Um, And again, we have polyamory knocking at the doors of the church. We have polyamory knocking at the doors of culture. How far do we open up the floodgates uh, and normalize um, things that are going to be normalized on the basis of love is love? If that's true, then what's off limits? If that's the litmus test, is there anything that's off limits um, for us? And uh, yeah, so anyway, again, there's not a single positive reference in all of scripture. I think that the pro-gay theologists are working very hard to justify something that they want to find in Scripture, and they have to do a lot of backflips and a lot of gymnastics to to try to make that um, a reality.
2: I was I've been thinking and praying about this honestly for for some time now. Going okay, what's the point, God? What what? Why is this happening? Why is this coming to the forefront? What's really going on? And I had a a thought. Uh, I'll, I'll, I I called it an epiphany. I'm hesitant to call it a a revelation, uh, but. Like, okay, let me run this by you and just get your thoughts on this before I have to let our social media go. There really are only two kingdoms, gods and not gods. There's two worldviews, God's worldview and the not God worldview. And yes, many people try to blend these two together, but really there's really only two, God's word, man's word. And, and, and really we know that Satan cannot create anything. All he can do is pervert And so we see throughout scripture, throughout time, Satan trying to steal glory from God, take away glory from God. That's why he was cast down. He became proud. God was getting the glory. He wanted the glory. And it was his pride of wanting the glory that God so rightly and justly deserves. And I thought, I wonder if this is just a form of cultural pressure, uh, we're here in June. It's Pride Month. Wow, you had, let me just put it this way. You had, if you don't want to be canceled, you better bow the knee. You better just bow the knee. And I thought, oh my goodness. Is that what's really going on in all of culture and all society? Satan wants you to bow the knee to something that is not God. Is that, could that possibly be the big overarching picture of what's really going on here? Satan wants you to bow the knee, to say, I'm okay with, to affirm something that is not God's design. And he's stealing glory, getting you to bow the knee to that, when in reality, the Bible says, no, no, no. One day, don't worry, every new will bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. So could it be that this whole thing is actually just a way to try to steal glory from God and get people to bow the knee to something that is not God?
1: I, I totally agree, Eric. I mean, I, I think that's that's very true. Uh, I, and also just to, to kind of piggyback off of the point you made earlier, it is absolutely true. We see it over and over again that Satan, while... It's as if he wants to be able to create. It's as if he, uh, again, to be like God, right? Um, and, and that pride that went before him uh, that, that really was about his demise, of course, that's, of course, and we're talking about Pride Month, right? It All of it is bathed in pride. There's no other sin that I can think of, no other area of human fail, failure or frailty uh, that we actually have gathered around with uh, pride signs and, and reveling uh, to, to glorify it. And yet we have in this, in this arena. And, and what's, I think, particularly um, behind a lot of this is if, if we, according to Genesis one twenty six and 27, have been made in his image as male and female, if there actually is a way in which God has made us of equal value as male and female, but has put uh, different aspects of his image within us as male and female to reflect him on the earth, uh, to reveal him on the earth, is it any surprise that Satan hates that? Angels do not bear the image of God. Animals do not bear the image of God. Only human beings bear the image of God. And so, to attack that directly by bringing about confusion sexually in terms of same-sex attraction and desire. Again, I was there. I was exclusively same-sex attracted at one point, and and have now been married, you know, to my wife Melissa for sixteen years, and have two boys of our own, and and so grateful for the restoration that God has brought about in our lives. And in the lives of many others, we know, by the way, who have come out of that world. But this, to take it even further from from confusion about same-sex attraction into, no, I'm actually the wrong gender. And frankly, I'm going to be my own God. I'm going to redefine who I am. It, it sounds like so often, I mean, one of the enemy's tricks is uh, to, to convince us that we actually are our own gods, that we actually... Can forge our own way forward, and actually, we are worshiping and bowing at the at the feet of of the one who's bringing about ultimately demise in our life. He's the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And and in our when Romans one says that um, professing themselves to be to become wise, they actually have become fools. Uh, there's a way in which we are agreeing with the very one who is about our uh, our total destruction. And so, yeah, I I think that ultimately that is behind. Uh, what's going on. And also I want to really stress here, it's not just about holding on to truth for the sake of truth. That that is reason enough, there's no doubt about that. In, in holding on to God's truth. But it's also about the reality that God's truth produces the greatest human thriving. So churches that are saying that they're being loving, that they're being gracious, that, that they're being so kind, in the end, the people that they are lying to, the people that they are um, compromising toward, the people that they're lowering the bar. For are actually the ones who are going to have to pay the price for the sloppy grace that the church is uh, is metering out today. Not all churches, obviously, but increasingly a number of churches that were once that once went by the label evangelical, maybe even still do go by that label, but they've shifted away from the true gospel and away from authentic love to something that is really sloppy and is not actually helping people thrive in this life or uh, the coming.
2: So what would you say to a pastor who feels like, I, I'm just being loving. I'm just being kind. I am being sensitive. Have you heard their story? What do you say to somebody, a pastor like that?
1: Absolutely. And I think that we need to, as Christians, we need to be far more sensitive uh, than we actually have been to the, to the plight of, of those coming out of the LGBT community or those within the LGBT community. Frankly, we need to be a lot more sensitive to the plight of human beings in general, those that have been they're leaving single lives who are are desperate and longing for marriage and yet haven't found that partner or those who have been divorced or those who are you know single moms and i mean there's so much that's going on in in our uh, in our world and i think we need to embrace real compassion but the but compassion of course is not giving somebody a wrong prescription and and uh, and knowing that we're doing it or or at least knowing that the we might disagree with the instructions the bible Uh, but we need to follow the instructions of the word of God. And so I get where pastors feel like, oh, you know, I'm being really compassionate. But if you look simply at first Corinthians 13 as an example and and go down, you know, from from verse one, go through. And of course, Paul is laying out this incredible chapter on love and what it is not and what it is. And when he gets to verse six, he says, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. That is the bottom line. I mean, and, and, And the way that we act out love, the way we do love, we don't love is not prideful. It's not arrogant. It's not boastful. It's not self-seeking. You know, it, it is, uh, it is gentle. It is compassionate, but it, but to define love clearly, it does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Too many times we as Christians are actually saying that we're loving, but we're not loving biblically because it doesn't meet, um, what Paul is saying there in, in uh, verse six of first Corinthians 13.
2: That's powerful. So let me ask you this based on what you said earlier. How, how it, it destroys. Do, does homosexuality destroy?
1: Sure, sexual sin destroys. I mean, Paul in First Corinthians uh, 6.18 says, run from sexual immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the one who sins sexually sins against their own body. And of course, that applies to women too. And so Paul, is a good father, is warning us all forms of sexual immorality, whether that's homosexual, LGBT, uh, um, heterosexual, certainly, which, of course, the heterosexual... Uh, sin issue is still, immorality issue is still a much bigger issue in terms of the numbers. But yeah, everything that fits within that umbrella. So so here's the thing. Um, the, the true uh, way that God created um, sexual expression to be lived out uh, is between one man and one woman in the covenant, in the container of, of committed covenantal re- uh, marriage relationship. Everything outside of that is immorality. Everything outside of that is sin. And so, um, yeah, it is absolutely destructive as all sexual sin and immorality is destructive.
2: Wow. I and mean, then you're right. The, the heterosexual sins are the bigger issues that, as far as numbers, as far as stats. And we're focusing on this one. So I guess, is it just that the church needs to learn how to deal with sin better? Like, how, how, or is it that, the church is, and this gets into church theology, are we doing it wrong? Are we like, hey, sinners, come to church rather than believers, come and fellowship
1: together and let's go out and be the light. Maybe maybe that's part of the problem. But uh. I, think the, the, I think the root issue is that um, as human beings, we still all struggle with shame. I mean, I think it's a fascinating statement that before sin enters into the scene, you know, Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. I mean, it's such an interesting uh, verse to to include their statement to include that they were naked and unashamed. There was a a lack. There was no sin, of course, and there was a, a a lack of shame. But even as Christians, we still deal with a lot of shame. And I don't think really there's. I don't believe there's anything that that feels more shameful than in the than in the arena of the sexual. And and so for for you know, I mean for years and years and years, decades. Uh, the church has communicated truth but yet has not, um, has not really developed a, a platform or a framework. That would be a better uh, word of saying uh, idea is framework. They've not developed a framework where we are truly walking alongside each other in, um, in ways that are open and vulnerable. I know like John Wesley, uh, you know, just forming all these different Pan Wesleyan uh, uh, churches that have sprung out of that. And of course, there's all kinds of mess going on in the United Methodist Church is one example right now in terms of really orthodox Bible-believing churches and, and those that are inviting in drag queens to do their children's story hour, you know, in the front of the church. There's this wide disparity within the UMC. And, and uh, But John Wesley, one of the things that he believed was so important were, were bands, of were small groups of men, small groups of women, and you're getting real and vulnerable with each other. I didn't even know that that was John Wesley's perspective. Um, I, came, I, I came upon that later. We have said for a long time that the church is not encouraging men and women to actually be real and vulnerable. We are all living lives, double lives. We're all living lives, putting our, quote unquote, best foot forward, um, making uh, everybody believe we're casting an image that's not fully accurate because we're keeping most of the ugly and and, or bad and, and all the ugly in the background. But we need to come. We need to have some people who know us, some brothers, some sisters who know us fully And and know our struggles, know our failures, know the things that have been done to us. They know us fully. They're praying for us. They've got our back. It's a band of brothers, band of sisters. I see that um, lived out almost nowhere as I'm traveling the country and speaking in churches. It's very rare. And the churches that have that, the churches that are growing in that are actually becoming safe environments, safe and transformational environments on all areas of, of human brokenness. So that I think is this, um, this uh, counterfeit and, and, and uh, the, the lack of integrity has, is really the thing I think that's opened ultimately opened up the doors over the course of time for us to be where we're at today. Because as you said, the church is meant to be salt and light. That was very clear, is very clear. And too often, the church has abdicated that role of being salt and light because we've said one thing, we've often done another. And it's really diminished our uh, witness and our spiritual authority to, to be the salt and light. I think where we're at as a culture lies at the feet of the church, largely. And that's a that's a sad thing to say, but it's the truth. And, and if there's change is going to happen, it's going to come through revival, it's going to come through the church, it's going to come through genuine repentance of people that have known Jesus for a long time and have been living those double lives and are sick of it and done with it. And they're gonna be pursuing Jesus out of a genuine heart and inviting others to join them in that process.
2: Wow. That really does get down to the heartbeat of what it needs to be. It needs to be you and others loving each other as Christ loved the church, having that kind of love for one another, and saying, hey, Love, unconditional love, let's but let's deal with this and get our life back to that's why that's why when you think of rehab programs, it's okay, guys, and it's unbelievable accountability. It's changed the environment and let's have some unbelievable accountability right here.
1: My goodness. And the problem is with rehab programs, for example, I'm I'm so glad that they're there. But the majority of the church either stands kind of against that, like we don't want those people around, or they're kind of all clapping and all excited that the church has this program for those people. And we're not recognizing I'm those people. Like, it, it, I mean, I, wh- whether I'm living out sexual addiction or some other thing, we all have bents toward. Uh, one or more area of sin. It, we, my former pastor used to call it besetting sin areas. We all have those struggles. And the idea that only those really broken folk need that kind of accountability, that kind of, those kind of loving bands of brothers and sisters is a complete fallacy. We all need it. If we don't have those relationships, we're not living a biblical Christian life.
2: Well, I need to let social media go. I want to ask you about uh, your advice to somebody who experiences same-sex attraction. Uh, maybe they haven't acted on it. What are your thoughts on that? I want to ask you about that. I want to. I want to get more into what should a uh, what should a church do if their church is uh, affirming LGBT uh, sexual sin. And saying it's okay, how should they respond? But I need to let social media go. Hey guys, thank you for joining me. We're here live uh Wednesdays at noon. Would love to have you join me next week. Uh it's gonna be a fun show. I- I'm looking forward to uh uh getting my uh getting my basketball skills uh unrusted and see if I can uh, see if I can compete in the basketball arena as we talk about balling for Christ and uh some of the amazing things that have been done uh just to share the love of God using a basketball. Uh, we'll do that next week and then again great shows all month long. If you want to watch the rest of this show, come on over to creationtoday.org. God bless you guys. Okay, so I I've I've got I I remember my first encounter with homosexuality. I guess I should say second questioning questioning what they were thinking was a cousin who had gotten, you know, had had a partner and they, he was much older than i was and i'm vacationing uh, at my grandparents house and he's there uh, he's lives lives in town i just remember going and finally one night just asking hey cuz he's he would sing in the church he would do all that and i'm like hey can you help me like this, i don't get the whole you're you're same sex attracted you're calling yourself a christian and you're fine with this and he had this is 30 years ago, more than 30 years ago, yeah, about 30 years ago, he had justified in his mind, yeah, I read a book, uh, kind of what we were saying at the beginning. This guy said, no, that's not really what it says. It's not really against that, and has lived this his entire life with his, with his partner over the last 30 to 40 years. Um, other people would say, well, wait a minute, the, maybe the Bible is against it, but I am same-sex attracted. I read the book... Um, Torn I think it is by Justin Lee and read that and emotionally it moved me. I mean my my heart hurts for and and I don't know if this is exactly the way it really happened, you know, but the way he wrote the story, oh man, how the church hurt him for disagreeing and I'm just like oh and he's he's portraying this look, I have same-sex attractions, never acted on it at all. I got questions about this. Brings it to the church, and the church is like, Whoa, full stop, get out, don't want you." So he feels that rejection from the church. What is your advice to somebody with same sex attraction? And do, do we really know why we why people experience this? And what's your advice to them? Those are some questions I have in my mind.
1: Yeah. So um, when it comes to same sex attraction, that of course we need to separate out um, same sex attraction from actually embracing um, you know an LGBTQ identity uh, embracing homosexuality and living that out, <clears throat> a person can experience, I mean, actually every person on the planet experiences attractions and, and desires that are contrary to the word of God. There's not a single person that doesn't, right? I mean, that's called sin. And, and often those are in the arena of the relational and the sexual. Uh, I, I don't, whether that everything from full on asexuality all the way out to sexual addiction and a, and a sexual fetishes and whatever else is in between that. So, um, but to have desires or to recognize uh levels of temptation is, is a, a world apart from giving ourselves over to sin, whatever that might look like. Even even sin that's that's based in, you know, greed and um and and the pursuit of, of uh my career or whatever, I mean that can be a lifestyle of sin as well, a bitterness and unforgiveness, oftentimes totally overlooked in the church. So again, I um, we're talking about LGBT, but I want to make sure that that we're not ignoring the factor, and, and of course I know you wouldn't either, Eric. That there's other sins that have been dominant in the church, and people live out a quote unquote lifestyle of those things. And and out of love, we should be we should be talking with them. We should be bringing this up to them, right? So, um, but the um even when you go out to the um, American Psychological Association, uh, which which in in my mind and in so many others, for example, even Dr. Um, Andre Van Mole. Has um, has made a statement in reference to one of the uh, one of the I think it has to do with the um, uh, the committee that was put together by the APA to um, uh, to legitimize non monogamous relationships and and I think it was, I think it was on the basis of that that Dr Van Mole made the statement that we can clearly see now that the APA is not really a scientific organization as much as a guild. Uh, you know, that, that actually is is quite ideology driven. And um, that, that's not an exact quote, but he did refer to them as a guild rather than a scientific organization because we're seeing, you know, for the longest time they were respected as, as one of the foremost scientific organizations. And I think anybody paying attention can see that they are now have shifted and did a long time ago away from true science and they can use science that, that supports a narrative that they, they are, are moving toward or want to promote. And, but on their website, if you drill down, there's a, a slide that we show in our presentations where they are very clear about. You know, there's been a lot of um, uh, research done and, and a lot of money thrown at this idea of of where does homosexuality come from? Is it genetic? Is it is it uh, is it nurture? Is it nature? And uh, the conclusion that they came up to is nobody can um, can say definitively that there are. It's a multifaceted issue. I'm like, uh, where do you ever hear? Is that that? Does anybody ever actually know that the APA actually says that? It's it's again, it's hidden, kind of you know, you have to drill down to find the, uh that that page. But it clearly says what, frankly, we would say is that there is nothing definitive. There has been uh, no solid, good science that would show that it's genetic. In fact, even Dr. Lisa Diamond's work on sexual fluidity would indicate that no, there's a lot of opportunity for uh, sexual change. People that. Have been, you know, um, exclusively heterosexually attracted, uh, can actually enter into homosexual relationships and can take on more of a of a same sex identity. That's that's particularly true, I think, in my experience, and in, in my wife's my, my experience, more true for for women than men, but it's also true for guys and and also guys and women that have been exclusively same sex attracted can come out of that too. So there's there is um, there's no uh, research that would say oh there's a genetic um, issue here. That you know that this is predetermined, and yet so many in the pop and the in uh, culture believe that's true because pop culture teaches that. Even news um, uh, would would indicate that this is uh, an inborn thing that's immutable and can't be changed. And yet, there's so many of us. My wife and I know hundreds of of others that have left the LGBT community to follow Jesus. Some remain single, serving the kingdom of God. Some have gone on to get married to the opposite gender. Some have gone on to have children. God is is in the business of transforming lives. Uh, and it doesn't stop at the threshold of the LGBT community.
2: Wow. I remember watching a Vodi Bacham video where he outlines the LGBTQ and says, look, you know, this isn't even an alliance. The LG contradicts with the T. LG says it's a hardware issue. T says it's a software issue. It's just what I think that matters. And then since LGT is now affirmed as the norm, Q has to oppose them because Q stands for queer or uh, uh, something that's not normal. And now these are considered normal. So Q has to oppose them because this is now normalized and Q stands for not normal. So it's just interesting to see this quote alliance really not be an alliance and
1: uh, it's not a community at all i mean everyone refers to it that way and i I still use that language because it's what's most commonly understood but even the when you look at the b bisexuality i mean that's in many ways it would be viewed by a number of people as that's incredibly discriminatory because now you're talking about binary gender and that's completely anathema so uh you know so the b is in some ways is viewed negatively in that respect Whereas, you know, polyamory would be, or pansexual would be that I just, you know, I love who I love and it doesn't matter what uh, the thousand genders that are out there, what they are. Um, and whereas, again, bisexuality would be um, by its very nature, um, talking about two binary or, or rather binary genders. So.
2: Wow. So uh, what, what, uh, what do we need to be doing? You got your creation today partners on here. What, what's, what, what do we need to be doing? What's your advice to people in the church? Um, how, I know we can't stand up on every single issue, but I want to be knowledgeable. I want us to have our apologetic down. I want us to be able to defend our faith appropriately. What do we need to know to say, to do in order to be part of the solution? Because I feel like neutrality is part of the problem.
1: Sure. Well, it is because eventually, when you're neutral um, and you just won't address these issues, you leave your church unequipped, and and people begin to assume that we must not have a position on this issue, or must maybe we're in favor of it. And over the course of time, when you're not addressing it in a way that's really loving, uh, people are wrestling and struggling, but they're not going to come to the church because you know there's no open door for them, and and there's no real hope for them. So, you know, I mean, there's a there's a lot of things that can be said on this. I think ultimately. To me, it does uh, come down to the fact that we, as the church, um, have to re-embrace um, God's call for us to live lives of integrity. That who we are in public is who we are in private. And the truth is, many of us need help with that. Many of us need, you know, we we lean on First John one nine when we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise God for that that verse. But we, we ignore two verses earlier where it says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of his son cleanses us from all sin. We have got to learn, again, to face our shame. Uh, Brene Brown uh, says that the, the antidote to shame is vulnerability. And that, certainly, and that would be biblical for sure. Uh, the, the antidote for, for the shame that we're living in and the way that the church is living in a compromised manner uh, is, is that we have to choose to become vulnerable we have to choose to take risks we have to uh James refers to it as living in a lifestyle of confession confess your sins to one another pray for each other that you might be healed James 5:16 and and so if if we are if we're willing you know for the I'm actually wanting to speak to the Christians who are sick of, of of sick of good enough sick of this is as good as it gets sick of the idea that you know the Christian life when Jesus talks about coming and and giving us life that is abundant it doesn't feel like life is abundant because we're still living and this, this, you know, gerbil wheel, rat wheel that just goes round and round and round and round. We never get off of it because we're living in cycles of shame, sin, and addiction. The antidote to that is vulnerability. The antidote to that is confessional, a confessional lifestyle, that band of brothers, that band of sisters. And and the fact is, you know, the church wants to kind of bypass our own uh, our own brokenness. And, and those that are well-intentioned, we want to reach out to the LGBT community. Well, what are you going to reach out to them with? What are you gonna? What are you gonna model? What does your life really show in terms of transformation? And what are you willing to share uh, for the glory of God and for the hope of others about what God has brought you through? I don't think that we should have. We we we. God ought to be able to tap into the areas of our lives where there's been past porn struggles, past sexual abuse. Many many uh, women and even uh, men in the church have experienced sexual abuse as as young people before they ever got into adulthood, and, and oftentimes porn addiction and all of that. And yet we won't talk about it. We have got to be willing to stop cleaning up our stories and letting God get the glory for, for the way that he's, quote unquote, kind of rolled up his sleeves and got into the gutter with us and drew us out of those broken places in order for us to really provide hope uh, to the world and relationship to the world. Um, younger generations, uh, they're, they're not wanting more um, more churches that are seeker sensitive and water everything down. The, the church got it so wrong on that. I understand how that there was confusion there. What they want is authentic. You can even don't lower the bar for us, raise the bar um, or keep the bar where Jesus has had it. Don't lower the bar for us, but give us authenticity. Give us something real and give us relationship. And that's what the sh- church has oftentimes been in short supply on. And we need to go back to that
2: because you're right it seems like I'm thinking of I was just having a conversation with my son-in-law youth pastor and uh, we were having this very conversation about what does it look like to really be vulnerable and and is the church you know a place to invite the unsaved or is that like no this is where this is us this is us doing real life talking about our struggles being more like Christ Is so man I'm, I'm seeing I'm seeing the need for that for me that's always been my family it's always been my dinner table conversations with my kids it's been my friends in ministry that I can be honest with and say, hey, here's what I'm going through, man. What are you facing? So yeah, having that has certainly been, I'm, I'm looking back now going, wow, that kind of a, I don't know if it was an official accountability, like, hey, would you have an accountability over me? But it was a willing accountability saying, here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what I'm going through. Can you, like, what are your thoughts on this? How,
1: how Help me understand this. Well, and it's more organic. I love what you're saying there, Eric, because like I, I hate, uh, I've been in a quote unquote account- accountability groups. And honestly, I've hated them because it's not, they've not been relational accountability groups. It doesn't, I, I think that what you're describing are things that happen more organically and more naturally beca- out of the the, out, uh, the overflow of, of relationship. And, and I think churches can do, can really help and foster these. It doesn't have to be totally hands-off and disconnected and organic. You can foster these, but it has to be on the basis of relationship, and the and the fact that this band of brothers. One of the reasons that you know in 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 war settings, uh, why these guys are so effective, because they actually love each other. They actually care about having their their brothers back. They actually are keeping him alive. They're actually more focused on keeping him alive than keeping themselves alive. And and that is out of this relational connectedness that happens. In, in ways that we can't even fathom when you're in, you're obviously in a, in a, a war towards situation like that but yet spiritually speaking we are at war and yet we're living like we're at club met you know in the church and certainly in the US and and so and I think that's changing you know and I'm um, I both I have some trepidation about that obviously because' I'm, I've only grown up grown up in uh, the US and have had tons of freedom that we all kind of took for granted. I think a lot of that is there's an, an, an encroaching on that. And and some real shift in that, and complete flip flop of cultural perspective on Christianity in a way that, unless things really change dramatically, I think that the, the church is going to be experiencing intense persecution uh, in in ways that we can we can't even fathom. Other countries can, but we can't fathom here. But again, we need those band of brothers. We need those relationship um, those relational accountability uh, connections, and and they need to be regular. Uh, they they need to be where we're building on our relationship together and our love for each other as sisters together, you know, four or five women, four or five guys um, really in this together.
2: Wow. Well, I'm, uh, I'm, 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 I'm wishing this was a live show. Unfortunately, we're at the Grand Canyon while this is airing guys. Um, I wish this was like, I, I want my Christian day partners on here right now, asking you questions that they have as well, because um, I know I've, I've kind of got a lot of my questions out here of things I'm wondering. Uh, what do we do with, same? I, I, I've got a friend who, uh, who I love who says, Eric, I, for the last, for, for all my life, have been same-sex attracted, never never uh, acted on it. Uh, I, I now am, he is now, I believe, kind of going down the road of, maybe the Bible's not against this. Maybe I'm supposed to have a loving relationship with a guy. And actually wondering, well, even though I've never acted on this, uh, to my knowledge, maybe, maybe this is what it's supposed to be. So I this is really close to home for me because not only is it Pride Month, not only is this like becoming a bigger issue of the church. I mean, when I'm watching a, a, a good friend go through this struggle, uh, it, it becomes even more real, more personal, more challenging. So um, I am wondering. okay, do you know the name Mark Yarborough? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, maybe I got the name wrong. Um, Mark Yarhouse. that's the one Yarhouse. Mark house. Yes. Sure. Uh, so this, the, my friend would say, Hey, Mark, Yarhouse is the, the leading expert on, on same sex attraction, LGBT, what's going on. And he says, people can't change. This is just who you are. I mean, do you, have a response to that kind
1: of idea? Sure, I mean, I think that's um, the antithesis of the gospel uh, and the the outworking of the gospel, actually, let me say it that way, that's a better way of describing it. The outworking of the gospel is change. The outworking of the gospel is that I'm being transformed. The outworking of the gospel, of course, and that the, um, uh, the conception of someone who is, is putting their trust in Jesus Christ is that we have become a new creation. Paul refers to the church in Corinth as saints, even though he's addressing incredible sexual uh, confusion and immorality there. And oh, by the way, I just want to mention that Jesus—you know—people say, "Oh, Jesus didn't say much about you know any of this stuff." He didn't say anything specifically about homosexuality, but he talked about everything outside of um, of marriage between one man and one woman and 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 binary gender, uh, male and female, as outside of God's um, design. And, 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 and certainly immorality. But Jesus in Revelation uh, chapter two and three addresses the church and he lambasts uh, several of the churches for allowing sexual immorality to thrive in their churches. So this is a huge issue. Um, but, you know, absolutely, uh, I think that um, the reality, so I still experience some same-sex attraction. My wife still experiences some same-sex attraction. Everybody we know uh, that have come out, that's come out of the homosexual world uh, LGBT world still experiences some level of, and I say everybody, there's a, there's a few that don't, there's a few that have kind of outgrown it. There's a few where it seems like God has shown up miraculously and just did a sudden, you know, changed orientation. And I often joke that we kind of hate those people. That's not true, but you know, because <laughs> we all wanted that. We wanted the, yeah, yeah. the sudden change. We want the pill, you know, and instead God has called us just like your friend and just like everybody else on the planet, who's going to surrender their lives to Jesus he has called us into a process of discipleship and sanctification. I believe sanctification is something that is progressive, that happens over time. And, and there's some ups and some downs and some pitfalls and some, but, but there's a, an ongoing sanctification process and we're called to discipleship. And so even though, I mean, my same sex attraction today is nothing compared to what it was back when I was living as a gay identified man. Self-identified man, as I was, you know, bartending at the gay club, as I was living in all of that, and even you know, for some number of years afterward, my attraction is has diminished tremendously from what it once was. But I still have that. So the idea that it, you know, this nonsense that in order to be authentic, you people would have to have some complete flip flop of of orientation or sexual desire or change it is to me that's just utterly ridiculous. We don't apply that to any other area of life um, that you know, some other area of struggle that somebody has is, is dealt with just because they're tempted or just because they, they have to continue to surrender those desires to Jesus, we don't see that as, oh, my goodness, then, you know, you're either a self-hater or a denier. No, um, y- Yarnhouse used to be a really solid individual. Uh, it seems like he's moving further and further uh, uh, away from orthodoxy and, and biblical understanding um, and, 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 and moving more toward kind of a squishy, sloppy um, perspective on, on these issues. And, and yeah, unfortunately, someone like that then, uh, is pointed to and, and, and we're saying, yeah, you know, look at him. He's saying it's okay. And, or or what, I don't even know what Mark is saying exactly these days, but, uh, but it does seem like he's shifting, uh, his perspective. Um, no, we have to come back to the truth of God's word and we have to believe that, that there's two things I think are, are critical. One is we need, we were created for a sense of belonging and too often the church does not provide the second chance at family, the second chance at intimate relationship and belonging that our hearts crave and we were made for. And it needs to, to, um, to really re-embrace that. The second thing that we all need that is of equal importance is a sense of eternal purpose. And so when I'm wrestling with things in the, in the, in the flesh, when I'm wrestling with things in this life, it is so hopeful and helpful. When I know that I belong, that I have people who love me and care about me, and they love me enough to kick me in the rear when I need to be, um, and and uh, in, in and in in genuinely out of love and care for me, um, they love me enough to say the things I don't want to hear uh, to bring me back into alignment with what I really know to be true. But also that I have an eternal purpose, and and that purpose elevates me to uh, beyond just looking at the the, the low horizon of my attractions and my desires and, and these things that feel like they're never going to go away. And it elevates my view into something, this this invitation that God gives every son and daughter of his to have big impact in the kingdom of God. And, and honestly, that belonging and that eternal perspective, if I'm really leaning into that, that can give me the strength that I need to say no to fleshly things, say no to things that feel like identity and say yes to him and find in that over time a diminishing of desire and a diminishing of, of, um, of cravings for what once used to bind me. And so, I mean, I think those things are essential. We're not talking about those enough in the church.
2: Does it frustrate you at all that this specific sin gets so much spotlight? Or do you feel like, I, what, do, what do you think about that? Like, is it, is, it, is it too much attention or is it like, no, it's,
1: this is a huge issue? Yeah, I think the church um, originally, when you know there there was there was a lot of negativity thrown at those who were experiencing same sex attraction, for example, and and I think it was looked at and called out as something far worse than adultery or fornication or whatever, which of course it's not, and and so that was that was frustrating. But the reason, frankly, that it's getting so much um, attention now is because it's in everyone's face. I mean, you you can't you can't turn on a television program. I can't put my kids in front of. Uh, something that is designed, you know, that's that's animated, that's supposed to be for children and, and not um, uh, be concerned because over and over and over again, uh, this garbage is being piped. Sexual immorality and identity confusion is being piped into the lives of our kids at every level. It's happening in school systems. It's happening through uh, the media, through social media, certainly. And so the reason I think it's getting so much attention is it's not like, oh, just leave us alone and let us live our lives. That was once claimed to be the case when, when you know this idea that uh, of um, trying to push gay marriage through in 2015 is we just want to live our lives, live and let live. Well, it's now quickly changed from that to you're going to agree with us. You're going to bake our cakes. You're going to design our websites. You're going to do the things. You're going to use your art. You're going to use your speech to promote what we want, or we're going to crush you. And and so the and of course those are activists those aren't your typical um, you know people that just want to live their LGBT lives but it's changed from that now to where it's it's really getting pushed on culture it's getting pushed on children I think what's beginning to shift the tide some politically at least and I think on other levels is that now kids are being you know groomed and pushed toward um, exposure when they they shouldn't be they they have, there's no need for any of that and yet it's 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 happening um, to our children and so now a lot of the response of the church um is is because it's just it's everywhere in culture. I mean, how can you not address it? So it it's kind of a both and um I, I wish it weren't such a dominant um feature of discussion, but it is, and the church needs to start addressing it in a way that's really life giving but also truthful.
2: Wow. Well, I'm, I'm going to be having a conversation at the end of the month. I thought we'd cap June Pride Month with two different conversations. This one on why is the church affirming it? What's going on there? Should we be doing that? And then uh, at the end of the month, uh, what do we do to protect our kids from transgenderism? I mean, because this, what you're saying is exactly what's happening. It has gone from a, just tolerate us to a, you better promote us. And, you and that's why I feel like this is a bow the knee issue. I feel like this is a, you had better bow the knee to something that is not God. Just bow the knee. King Nebuchadnezzar, just bow. All I want you to do is bow. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we're not going to bow the knee. And I feel like we just need people that are willing to say, we're not going
1: to bow the knee. Love you. Not bowing that knee. Well, then, right, and Eric, right there, I, I do think it's important to just stress one thing. I think the church needs to become a lot better at separating ideology from individuals. And and uh, rather than we, we, we get jacked up about and upset about, and, and I think there's a lot of conflation. I mean, everything is political these days, unfortunately, and, and everything's bled into that arena. But I think the church needs to really understand how to lovingly and clearly, but also there's a way we can be gentle even when we're being really clear uh, and, and stand up against ideology that is wicked an ideology that should not be foisted onto our children, uh, for sure. Uh, But at the same time, understand that individuals, people, are being um, lied to and confused. I think often, I think the LGBT community ultimately is being used uh, by a bigger purpose as the tip of the spear of driving something far more than just um, sexual immorality and identity confusion um, that at the end of the day is going to devour them as well. But um, But the church, unfortunately, too often, gets angry at people and angry at at those who are just living their lives that aren't even a part of the activism or whatever, because we're just, we're not separating out the reality of God's love. I mean, the fact that Jesus died for all and Jesus is calling people out of the LGBT community. I would not be here today. I would not be married. I would not have, be a father to my boys. I would not be involved in ministry if there weren't particularly guys, men, Christian men, who came alongside of me, took me under their wing, loved me when I was totally broken and, and fresh out of addiction and anonymous sexual encounters uh, and, and and coming back repentant and not knowing how to begin this journey whatsoever. And the church really rescued my life. And we need people to have that kind of compassion um, while standing against what's wrong and unbiblical at the same time.
2: Wow. Well, amen to that. Well, Creation Today partners, let's let's be that. Let's be the love. Let's let's our call to action this week is be that love to somebody. Speak the truth. Don't bow the knee. But let them experience Christ like love like Gary experienced. Gary, thank you for your ministry. Um, and if, if you guys, by the way, if you're not already signed up for Gary's uh, newsletters and supporting what Gary does and what his wife Melissa does, please go go to loveandtruthnetwork.com. Uh, you're, gonna, you're gonna really enjoy and appreciate what they do and being part of it and helping be part of the solution there. So thank you, Gary, thank you. And please tell Melissa, thank you for us. Uh, just thank you for your work, for your insight, for your wisdom, for your uh, stand on the authority of the Word of God and saying, this is where we're going to go and we're not, going to, we're not going to leave this. We're going to stick with what this
1: says. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Eric. We, uh, you're, we hold you in high regard as well. So bless you.
2: Thank you. Thank you. All right, guys, look forward to seeing you next week. I'll get my basketball shorts on. Actually, I'll probably wear sweats, but uh, don't want to show off my white chicken legs. Um, and uh, we'll do a little uh, balling for Jesus and, uh, and see how that goes. It's, uh, it certainly is fun. God bless you guys. Look forward to seeing you next week.
0: Thank you so much for joining us for this love and truth network podcast to listen to or watch future episodes please check us out at loveandtruthnetwork.com forward slash podcast also you can subscribe to apple podcast spotify and google podcast and we look forward to seeing you in a future episode